Welcome to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Jones, joined today by Vadim Kazulkin. Vadim Kazulkin is a head of development at IP Labs, a 100% subsidiary of the Fujifilm Group, uh, based in Bonn, Germany. IP Labs is the world-leading white-label e-commerce software imaging company. Vadim has been involved with the Java ecosystem for over 20 years. His focus and interests currently include the design and implementation of highly scalable and available applications, serverless, and AWS Cloud. Vadim is the co-organizer of the Java user group, uh, Bond Meetup, and AWS Community Builder in the serverless category, and a frequent speaker at various meetups and conferences uh, around the world. How are you doing today, Vadim? Yeah. Hi, Ryan. Yeah, I'm doing well after all these holidays and so on. A bit of tired of, of firing so of, of all the holidays. So now back to work and uh, quite exciting to talk to you now. How are you doing? Yeah, no, I, I know it's, uh, it was, yeah, doing good. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, it's, uh, as you said, holiday season, end of year rush. Um, it's about the same for all of us, right? We're all scrambling everywhere, spending time with family, friends, as well as wrapping up items for work. Um, how has that been for you? Is it Was it a crazy end of year? Was it smooth? How did it go? So it's always the same. We have kind of increased Christmas business because we are in this photo business and the people are just buying their their Christmas uh, gifts and so on. So quite a lot to do at work that, that everything runs smoothly. Then I had two weeks vacation. My wife has birthday in between. So a lot of birthday next week. My little son has a birthday two weeks later. Daughter. So a bit, bit of crazy times currently with all this stuff. But finally it will be over and I will have some pause from all this, all, all that stuff. So currently, yeah, it's always new year. Yes, new plans at work. So roadmaps, uh, all, all that stuff is going on currently. But uh, it's quite u- usual stuff for me <laughs> since years. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a lot. Um, so hopefully you're able to still get in, uh, you know, some time, time to focus on, uh, you know, more deep work sort of stuff during this period. But, um, I know that when it's, uh, when it's birthday season and holiday season mm-hmm. intertwined, it's, um, a lot of fun. So, um, well, you know, I, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast for, uh, the listeners. Um, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you've been in the Java ecosystem for a long time. Um, I think Java and serverless is sometimes, thought about as sort of an afterthought. However, a lot of the ecosystem outside of serverless is Java based, right? So bridging these communities together and helping build a future where serverless and Java makes sense. I think that's like the meat of uh, where I think our audience is going to get the most value. So I guess from your perspective, how, how is your career, you know, how did it start in Java? How did it grow? How did you get into serverless and AWS? And, and what does that currently look like for you? Oh, so yeah, uh, I had the passion for Java and I started even in the last century, which probably reveals how old I am, Yeah, 43 currently. Yeah, it was my huge passion and I was I really, I developed a lot probably until yeah several years back and our company did a lot of backend in Java and I'm currently working in Type Labs for more than 16 years. So that's just quite a huge track, probably even unusual. And we were quite successful with the Java backend and Spring and, and on so on. But uh, yeah, but we have this teeny thing, the Christmas season where we had this, and we were completely in the data centers. We had two data centers for different types of customers. We had the classical system administration pro- um, department, probably as many had. 
but yeah, this Christmas season where we had peaks for more than 10x comparing to normal stuff because people are buying their, their gifts, photo book of the year, calendars, all that stuff. There are a lot of promotions going on. And yeah, sometimes it happens that you will be victim of your own, uh, own success. So we had then a lot of customers, but sometimes also scaling issues. And uh, we tried tried to solve that in the, in, the, in the data center, but it was kind of, we had success, but we saw that just to have the persistent success, we have to change something. And what was, I think, 2017, earlier 2017, where we started to look at how just to become better at scaling and AWS was obvious, but we are, I'm based in Germany, Europe, and uh, cloud in Europe was in the early stage. It was obvious probably in the US that people did it from 2011 or something like this, like, like Netflix and so on. But we had here data center in Ireland, data center in Frankfurt, and that's it. Uh, we didn't have too much experience here in the region. But nevertheless, we started as a company looking to ways how to migrate workloads just to see the value. And of course, we started more or less like lift and shift. Yeah, just uh, more, more, more or less to use the scaling responsibility of, of, of the cloud provider. And just it took us years, four or more years, just to migrate everything. And on the way, we have refactored a lot, refactored the parts of the application that need scaling. And um, But uh, I think that the most interesting event in the company occurred in the, I think it was the beginning of 2018, and we had kind of in the beginning of the January, like three weeks there, we developers were allowed to work at something that was important to the company, but we could choose. And uh, we wanted just to rewrite some tool that was a bunch of scripts, but it was so important for the financial existence of the company. So we would wanted to, 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 to make the application of this and just uh, make it secure and so on. And But the, the thing was that these tools tool only need to run on the first of each month. But then for many customers, scaling, but only just for several hours. And then during the months on demand. So project manager can just look into the data in between. And that was kind of the discussion how we do this. Yeah, we started with, yeah, just do it with Spring. Okay, let's dockerize, let's use containers. But then we ask ourselves, uh, how much time and percentage in the months should this tool run? And we came on something like less than 1%. So it, it, we were currently doing first steps with AWS and we read something about serverless, but we didn't have any experience. But this was something pay as you go and just scale on demand. And it was just this 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 property. It should scale for two hours heavily, but then we didn't use it more or less. And it was just, let's try Let's try the stuff. And of course, it was kind of, we took Lambda, we took API Gateway, DynamoDB, SQS, email service. Um, and it, it was exciting three weeks, but we saw the benefit of the technology, how easy it was to do this for the for that steps and how easy easily for us it was to run this, not to worry about all this infrastructural stuff and all the metrics were there. Of course, we were quite naive in that time and, didn't do a lot of stuff, but it was kind of starting point to us to see, okay, we can do stuff differently. Yeah, we can offload some stuff to AWS and it provides value. So the upcoming projects, we are kindly kind of serverless first mindset. So we try to solve this on the serverless way to see, can we achieve this? 
and if it's not okay can we take fargate like manage containers and if that's for some kind of reason which is kind of seldom not the case then we can talk about dockerization probably even ec2 and now we're having kind of this mixed infrastructure we have classical one even ec2s we have dockerized but we have a lot of serverless um, services and uh, for the new stuff we are kind of looking into the ways um how to just to proceed with that. And that was for me also the point where I dug deep into serverless and then talk about our experiences and so on in the conferences, uh, see a lot of value, but also I see that the adoption is a bit of, I will, I would like to see more adoption. There are always the same companies like your company talking about this, but it's, I don't, I don't see that the community is quite huge as I started four years ago, I expected more, to be honest. Probably there are reasons for that. But I think that the people who are doing this, they see a lot of value. They can yeah, can tweak that, that, that everything right, but it requires huge expertise and mindset, uh, mindset uh, shift to be successful. But currently, I'm currently happy with that. Uh, that also meant that the first workloads that we did with serverless were kind of not written in Java. <laughs> for for that obvious reasons like cold start memory and it's of course an invoice so we had to relearn a lot of developers with that where savvy java developers became savvy javascript developers uh, because there were no no real solution for that uh, java problems within serverless world and that's why i also became come of the part of the community just because i know how huge this community is java community just how to embrace this world to serverless that that, that the adoption be, may become bigger because it's a huge stake that AWS we are living, not embracing Java community. And probably it, it was long or short. I don't know if you have precise questions, but this kind of yeah, <laughs> the yeah. track over the last uh, yeah more than twenty years. Currently, I'm head of development, but anyway, I'm just in in my heart. I'm techie. I'm just would like to talk to people that, and, and understand their problems and how cloud may, may help them to solve them. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, there was a ton of uh, great stuff there. So I'm sure the listeners are already getting a lot out of it. Um, so thank you for giving a full breakdown of, you know, how it started, how y'all approached the problem of moving away from data centers. Um, it sounds like if I repeated it back, it was a tiered approach. Uh, you did kind of a multi-layered, you did a lift and shift. Uh, you have EC2 instances still, some Dockerized things, and you have uh, purely Lambda uh, things running as well um, with more of those serverless supporting services on AWS. I guess like the first question would be how, I mean, you've already kind of said like it was very, it was difficult uh, to start. Some Java developers became JavaScript developers and there was issues, which I feel like I've heard that there's been improvements on the serverless side with Java. I guess how true is that? Has it improved in the cold start side and the and the, the support from AWS, or is there still a lot of room to to go? So, so uh, back four years ago, there were no real um, solutions for the cold start, and of course, it's not the problem of each application. If you have the synchronous workloads, then it's not 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 a huge problems. But if you have public facing application, and if you experience this cold starts. Especially if you are using DynamoDB, and DynamoDB uses HTTP client, and it just all that stuff in Java was more for the serverless world, and you could have six, seven, eight seconds of the cold start. And now I see even that the containers will be released much more often, so you you see fresh containers even 
each seven, eight minutes. So some portion of, of your users will have such seven, eight seconds cold starts and even probably more depending on the business logic that you are doing. And it, it was really a problem. And that's why I probably many people um, stayed away from, from using Java. But then the next step was this this ahead of time compiler and GraalVM that that the GraalVM added this the step that you can do native images and uh, these native images only inc- include what that will be used more or less and um, of course that also reduced the cold start because it's kind of already compiled into the native world so all these Java just in time compilers were left out. And they only use small amount of memory. The situation was that you need custom runtime to run it. Yeah, there is no managed Graal VM. I asked about is that something years ago or something behind the Java that that can switch between classic Java and for some hottest functions just to convert it to Graal VM, but it's not without so ahead of time compilation, you need to be sure that you have everything there. And if you use something like reflection and load something that may break your application in runtime, which is kind of also a bad experience. But yeah, you have this custom runtime and custom runtime at AWS requires also that you build this. So you have CI CD for building this, for scaling this. There are just you have you are in this bit of management world, how how to do this. And the situation is, uh, depending on your workloads, building GraalVM native image takes takes minutes. Yeah, depending on how many dependencies you have, just converting this and it breaks kind of a bit of developer experience because sometimes you change only teeny function, but you need to rebuild the whole image. And uh, this is something that that needs to be considered. It improves over time. It's every always the, the technology improves and it becomes shorter. But this GraalVM is, is not without challenges because in Java world, you rely too much on open source. And um, this all dependencies needs to be kind of GraalVM aware that there is no dynamic loading, reflection, all that stuff. And it, it takes also time. So there is a list of libraries that are kind of GraalVM free that you can use, but it's not everything. AWS SDK, Java SDK have been um, changed that they are kind of free or safe to use for the GraalVM. But for many people, this ahead of time compilation, all that risk, all, all that stuff, I had the discussions that the many don't didn't feel comfortable going this way with all that GraalVM stuff. I, I used it. It was okay for smaller applications. Sometimes I run into some issues with the bigger ones, but I see that the people, they would want to use this pure Java stuff. And then I was aware of this project coordinated check starts, this crack project on Java. And I was quite excited and a bit of even surprised that AWS released during the, the reinvent this um, snap start. Uh, uh, which is kind of mixed situation. Uh, this is how to quickly save and restore a Firecracker VM with the, the whole VM, but also um, the situation is with the cold start uh, or with Java application um, that every time you just initialize everything, there your code, so your application, what from the memory states looks the same. So after each cold start, and then this idea is to to save the state, to persist it, and then even to, to load it. And it is just quicker as just to load all the classes. This is kind of this idea behind there. There's this snap start, which is based on this open source project, uh, Crack. 
And this crack is based on Creo. This is kind of Linux stuff, how you can um, yeah, save and restore uh, on, the, on the operational system level. Quite exciting. I heard about six uh, yeah, uh, papers, all this stuff, how this works. And yeah, I had this possibility now to, to test this snap start, how it improves, because from the idea, you have some limitations because yeah, uh, yeah, you are not allowed to use everything, but generally it works, but mainly it's just on the Lambda level, you check that you use snap start. So generally you don't need to change the code. If you are aware of um, limitations and they are fine, and I was really surprised that the, the cold starts that I have now with DynamoDBs and so on have been reduced to, depending on techniques, how what you use, where you can achieve something like half of the second. And this is completely comparable to, to Python, to, to JavaScript and friends, like Node.js, like TypeScript. And I think it will now open more doors. We need to explore more. I just wrote the blogs, how to use pure Java function, with snap start, but also there are frameworks which help you to, to, to be productive. Micronaut Quark is probably out of the scope, uh, or we can talk about this, but you can bring this um, cold start below one second, but you need to use some kind of techniques like priming, uh, which is very important with priming. You can do before this um, VM or will be secured. You can do it, uh, additional calls like to the DynamoDB table that you use with kind of give me the item with ID zero. You don't need to have this item, but with that, if the Java classes will be loaded and there are something serialized, deserializer, they all will be initialized and then they stored within this package. And then if this package will be then loaded, it's much, much quicker. So you need to, 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 to follow some best practices. But the first impression of this, and I also hear this from the community that yeah, if you have call start something between half of the second and the second, it doesn't hurt too much. So I think uh, we need to explore more because it's a young technology, but it's also maybe it's also the, even this can be improved uh, any further. And I think that we will come much closer to um, to what we, we require that we don't have that call starts for the public facing application. So the first impression is is really good. Um, so currently testing further and, and talking to the community. Mark Sales is from AWS doing a great job. And we have a lot of people in the community, Java community, pushing AWS even further to improve the stuff. But uh, it, it was nice that to be heard because I used a lot of AWS wish list and not too much happened. Uh, but I, now I see that uh, that they are hearing to the community and, and, and uh, it becomes better and better. Yeah, this is a really cool. Uh, yeah, this is a really cool release, um, the Snapstart. And while you were talking, I, I opened up another tab just to refresh myself. Um, you know, the stated 10x reduced cold start time for Java runtime, and it's really cool to hear seeing that notification come through on the RSS feeds around the announcement, and then then going, okay, well, we don't do at least a serverless crew. We're not working actively with Java and serverless. So to hear from your perspective that. I was aware of the six to second, uh, six to seven second cold starts that were happening back in 2018 because I was working at uh, Nike at the time. And while I was there, 
we were we were doing some Java stuff and we were trying to load that in uh, to a Lambda. And I was trying to see, okay, if we can make this work, because I was familiar with the Node.js side and there's a lot of stuff happening Java-wise at Nike, then maybe there's some opportunity to optimize a bunch of stuff. But with the cold start times and everything else, it was sort of X uh, pretty quickly on. So hearing the fact that um, you did know the six to, second, six to seven second cold start time, now you're saying it's down underneath a second. That's, I mean, that's pretty amazing. Um, I guess like, and from your perspective, how many people know about that um, in like tangible terms like that? Uh, I mean, obviously reInvent was only like a month ago. So, um, but yeah, is it a, do you think that this is now going to start growing quite rapidly throughout this year or what is your, your thoughts? So I think, yes, it, it, it will now happen that the people will adopt serverless more, uh, more in, in the Java world. Of course, you need to be aware of the limitation. For example, um, this technology, there is cloud formation and even SAM support for this. It's quite rare in AWS world that they release the feature with that. So I was quite surprised. But there are some kind of limitations. You don't have X-ray support uh, currently for if you enable Snapstart. It's kind of... Tricky stuff. Um, many people will not feel comfortable going without observability. Of course, X-ray has its other ad- disadvantages. It's uh, also, but but anyway, it, it will be nice. It will, will be added, and of course, there is another stuff you should use. Uh, you cannot use the latest lambda, so you need to use this, the, the the specific version of the lambda function, which is then kind of has the alias on API gateway and something like this, that, that that's kind of what that you need to, to adopt all, 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 all your cloud formation or what you use, SAM SDK packages. And, and still I just tested, um, it requires, uh, so because now the first deployment of the function, so each time you change the code and deploy, it takes more time because of this snapshot and checkpoint. It should, it should be taken, it should be stored. And even I see in the logs that several attempts to, a snapshot the function is taken. Sometimes I see one, sometimes I see two, sometimes I see five. I didn't find out why this happens. But my first test have been for, for the application that I tested that the, the first, the deployment of the function, um, I did this with Sam, takes uh, additional, so kind of two minutes. Um, if I have more Lambda functions, they will be deployed in parallel. So it's not the factor if I have a lot of functions, each takes two or three minutes, but uh, the additional time to deploy is two or three minutes. I also wanted to, to talk if I am doing something wrong or it's kind of, yeah, it's the time just to take the snapshot to, st- to, to store it or something like this. Um, the same we have the, had with GraalVM. Yeah? To build the native image, it also took time. So I think even with that, there are a lot of opportunities to... Um, to improve because as developer experience, I do some small change. I need to wait several minutes just in order to test it. I don't, I don't know if there will be some local, some local support for this. So uh, there is, uh, it's, it's always the new technology. There are some downsides. Things will be improved, but I think the good thing is that that the people now have choice. Yeah. So if the cold start is not an issue, they can use Java. If they say, okay, with GraalVM, they can reduce it even a bit more. Without uh, some kind of other trade-offs, now they have AWS SAM, uh, which is also kind of uh, very easy. Uh, generally, don't need to um, to change the code, uh, or you do priming, like doing this DynamoDB call with ID just to warm up. Additionally, depends on the workload, 
what what would bring you but i think that adoption will currently increase that that that's really my belief but you need not now to transport that knowledge that more people try the stuff for for different kind of workloads then reflect back what's working and just let aws also improve the stuff but generally, yes, I, I think see. it's just an, another another alternative, which is very, very valid alternative currently. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really optimistic. But of course, everything is a trade-off. People should be aware, read through all these pages, uh, what, what is the stuff, and so on. Something like um, what I find out, but it was in the end, it uh, was documented that... Um, the, the, in the credential chain, you cannot use environment credential anymore because nobody is. They don't want to store your credentials within this snapshot, so you should use default or the container um, handler for, for for this uh, for these credentials and so on. But this is quite understandable. So there are maybe smaller changes that you need to do in the code, but everything is documented uh, fairly. Yeah. I see. Yeah, that's the that's the biggest question I would have for this because I I'm I thank you so much for kind of going through the limitations there because obviously no X-ray some additional Lambda version alias stuff on the API gateway side the deployment times being slower local testing not fully being there uh, to to replicate that process those are sort of things that as a developer if I was a Java Java developer evaluating this I go okay cold starts are better but there's still these other areas. Um, and you mentioned there are ways to sort of work around some of these. And I guess when it comes to how you put all those pieces together with, the, uh, if I'm saying it right, uh, Gravel VM, as well as uh, using Snapstart and uh, doing the alias setup with API Gateway, is there like a documented template that, that you have or a, a blog like guide where if I was starting today and I was going, okay, I want to implement exactly what Vadim has done with uh, Java and serverless, is there a comprehensive sort of guide like that that exists? So probably not, or is people are currently blogging about this. So I released four days ago a blog how just to use Spring Boot with Snapstart, so Java with Spring Boot framework, which is one of the most popular in the previous versions of this article. I just showed how to use Micronaut and Quarkus and Pure Lambda, and I just... Uh, I have my GitHub repository, so I can share the link how I do the stuff. It's There is no magic. I mean, adding like version and alias to API gateway in the same template is one row, more or less. But you should be aware because if you don't do this, then and even activate Snapstart. The usual Java function will be called without Snapstart. You can see this in the log because you, you see that there is no... Um, uh, that, 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 yeah, you see different kind of logging if you have Snapstart, for example, you see the restore phase. There is a checkpoint and something is saved, but then you see in the log in the init phase that this restore is happening, and then you, you know that um, the Snapstart is activated. And um, for example, then you have different CloudWatch queries to figure out your, um, your call start. So in case you're using Snapstart, there is kind of other queries. But this, if you know this, it's just the same query each time that that that, that calculates the stuff and and so on. I documented this in my on my personal blog. There are lots of people currently blogging about the same, and we are currently in exchange uh, how just to completely use that uh, stuff and so on. So I can share the link. You can look into into the stuff. Try it, try it out. It's just GitHub. So 
simply check out and then same deploy more or less <laughs> and then and then look uh, how how it works for, for you yeah that's currently the stuff okay yeah i know that's very helpful uh, we'll make sure to include the link to that blog post in the show notes uh, so anybody listening interested in that uh, definitely uh, check the show notes there and then when it comes to the comprehensive guide side I think it's good to reflag like you did that Snapstart is not automatically enabled and that, you know, I, I'm, I've got to imagine that people believe that they're deploying using Snapstart if there's a tech box they have to enable and then going, hey, what the heck, you know, um, I'm still I'm still getting the same sort of cold starts I got before. Um, and so that's that's really interesting on the Java Spring Boot side. That's that's a very that's a very cool set up in general, because obviously, as you said, it's the most popular uh, Java framework there. Um, what was the difficulty in figuring out how to put those things together um, to use Java Spring Boot, uh, you know, with Snapstart enabled? Oh, so generally, uh, it, it was interesting because Spring Boot was the most popular um, uh, framework, but they use heavily reflection, all that stuff that contributes additionally to to the to, to the cold start so the cold starts using spring boot were awful um uh, so that the people probably i, I don't know if it's uh, cold start doesn't matter you probably can use this but otherwise uh, it was difficult they released spring native project this fall so three three months ago this was for to support graal vm there just native image stuff uh, they have they had of course the 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 most difficult job just to refactor Spring Basic, just not to use reflection to enable this for for, for native stuff. So other frameworks like Quarkus, like 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 Micronode, they were developed with for microservices serverless world from the beginning. So they used a lot of stuff in the compilation time. Of course, it's another trade-off. Now the compile time takes longer than uh, than you have less call start. So everything is kind of this trade-off. But the Spring Boot guys had uh, just a lot of work to do for the Graal VM and now this this um, um, snapped start was enabled and now I just tested with Spring Boot and it it's, has been yeah it's it just they had the slowest call starts comparing to other frameworks but it's it's less than one second and that is something where I would say okay 200 milliseconds more for the cold start, but the people are familiar with the programming model of the spring. It's probably still a good trade-off, uh, even if other frameworks even support some kind of spring boot style. But the people, if they are familiar and productive with one framework, they say, okay, I will pay a bit more for, uh, I will, yeah, this cold start doesn't hurt me too much to, to some additional 100 milliseconds, then I'm really productive. I don't need to learn something new. So I think even for them, it will be possible, but but generally it was not very difficult to enable this for the spring because even AWS um, people they maintain the project which kind of proxy the request between Lambda and Spring Boot controller kind of receiver of the web method. So uh, everything was documented even previously to Snapstart, and I just tried to, to enable Snapstart and tested how it works. So. It was kind of a very smooth experience, but I can say once again, priming this kind of additional call to warm up your services, especially HTTP-based AWS services is, is essential. Otherwise, you can have still call starts. So without priming, I had the call start about 
a bit below two seconds for Spring application. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit too much with priming. I'm now by, uh, at 600 milliseconds in P50. So uh, I think that's, that's a good starting point. Okay. Yeah, I see. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's really really important stuff. I think the priming part. I want to say that in Node.js, there's an environment variable that you set to help with the HTTP warm up, and the same thing with Python. I think Python maybe it's already baked into it. Um, I could be wrong on that. So maybe that's something that AWS is already planning to do with Java is to help on that. Um, I guess when when you say the HTTP calls, is that uh, the, the one that you said earlier sounded like a query that you made to kind of warm that call up. Are there other services that basically rely on the exact same thing? So if you're making a request to SES or SQS, it's the same sort of um, warm up calls that you have to make. Or how do you, how have you seen that obstacle as you've uh, been working with this? Uh, so I didn't try Snapstart. It, it, it will be probably part of my. The next series of, of my article to say to, to, to test also SQS and, and SNS. So I, I think that uh, I'm not quite sure that that I will have the, the uh, such a bigger cold start uh, as with um, um, DynamoDB because I don't think that SQS and SNS rely on HTTP client. I, I have to check, but this HTTP client which Java provides, they are kind of a long living application and they are not very suitable for the Lambda world. They are simply recycle the stuff. You don't want to cache it. It costs you memory and so on. This is one problem. The second problem is this translation layer between, between your programming model and, and JSON. And this, uh, many people call this serializer, deserializer. Some people call them marshaller, unmarshaller. But this logic, which is automatically in Java, you have the person class, and then you have person JSON. And this stuff needs to be converted back and forth because it becomes JSON. Then the application is the person object. And then in the database, DynamoDB is JSON again. And this stuff, uh, to convert this back and forth, it also relies on something which needs to be loaded one time and costs you probably one second, that's perfectly fine trade-off for the server world where you're doing something and your your application is up for, I don't know if, of course, if you're scaling, it may be shorter, but it even may be for weeks, um, depending how often you deploy. But for the Lambda world, if you recycle this container, this one second additionally for seven minutes, that was something that added up. I don't think that you have this overhead for SQS and SNS uh, mostly. So... Um, I'm, I'm, I will test this because measure b- before you say something, but I will, I'm, I'm quite confident that the call starts in, in, using these services will be kind of lower, but I would like to confirm it uh, as well. So I, I even think that the priming will not have such a huge effect on this because yeah, there's some, some additional clients that will be, uh, some additional classes that will be loaded. It should be quick. <clears throat> I but see. this also thinks that, oh, what, that the problem is that uh, you need to understand these mechanics, that for the DynamoDB, this martial unmarshaller, one-time initialization, this is kind of the details behind the scenes. This is something they probably need to be knowledgeable, where it makes sense, where it doesn't make sense, and so on. It's sometimes you want to use the service and don't think about these details, how this is loaded, it's one-time, is it cached or not, it should be quick. Yeah, but Java World is kind of this long living services. It was for for decades, for last two decades, it was the same, more or less. 
um, and now this microservices rapid scaling, then then the instances go away and so on. It just changes everything how you you develop these applications. Yeah. Yeah, I guess like one last question on the the priming part. When it comes to the container side, if you make that initial call, uh, does it stay active for the entire container? So all the future requests that are invoking Lambda functions, they don't need to keep making that query, or is it every single time a Lambda gets invoked, it needs to make that call out to DynamoDB just to get back the properties to to help with all the the deserialization and serialization. Uh, so generally, how it uh, works, at, at least with, with with Crack, you can implement additional resource interface, uh, which comes with this Crack project. So you need to to add this dependency uh, once again, and then you have two methods, like before checkpoint and after restore. And before checkpoint will be executed if you deploy the function for the first time, kind of. Or if you are changing something and deploying this, and there you you do this call. And then you warm up everything and all the state of loaded classes and memory state will be then saved. And after restore, you usually don't do anything because then what I stored needs to be restored. More or less, I currently don't have a use case that after restore and after the restore will be in the call um, start phase, I need to do something. So for me, it's important just to... To that this, the state of the application is, is loaded with as much as possible is there that I need then for the execution time. You need time and then warm execution. So this is this is this before checkpoint allows me just to do additional stuff to load some classes to make uh, people call this make fake calls more or less just to warm up to load the stuff that you will need later. But of course, the trade off is it costs more deployment time for the first time. It, it maybe doesn't hurt you for the application. Okay, you can wait a bit more before it's live, kind of, and then, yeah, then everything will be just simply restored and executed quickly. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of the trade-off where you do this stuff. And yeah, I don't have the use case what you will do after the checkout. Probably you can test something. So if the people rely on something temporary, they probably can check if if it's there, but it's generally very bad practice to um, to just open some temporary files and then that the state will be saved because then Lambda will be run on another container and then the file is not there. So that's generally not what you should do. You should do something that is common for all your calls. Yeah, just to to, to save the time and if, if something individual de- depending on the request in the API gateway, then you should not uh, save that. Yeah, the dynamical part of the application. So at that's okay. how yeah, I understand and, and see how, how to deal with that uh, um, on the most pragmatic way or fruitful way. Yeah, that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I definitely have done the save it as a temporary file on the container and then check to see is it already loaded or not. Um, part of that was try to run a machine learning workload where I had a model file and we were doing computer inference. And then I was loading the model file on, it would create like a five minute cold start uh, on the initial, or like a four minute cold start right underneath the limit back when the max Lambda time was five minutes. Um, And then all the future requests would be like around a second or or faster. And so when we were doing development and testing of the model for computer inference, it was actually a pretty cheap way to do it. Um, And you know, kind of hacky, but it's 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 nice to hear that 
there's a uh, better practices, <laughs> better practices <laughs> now than something like that. Um, and then you mentioned one thing around um, the mindset shift. And I think that that's really important. Um, so how has that gone uh, for y'all? And, and what were the biggest hurdles that you had to kind of go through as you started sort of changing the minds, not only of yourself, but also the rest of the team about how to make Java and serverless kind of interact and work towards more of this like microservice, um, you know, system. So generally, we are still using less Java with the serverless world. So we have some uh, smaller applications with Java. Uh, so the most difficult part was, um, in general, sh shifting the mindset, why, why to use serverless in general. It doesn't uh, matter what programming language you are using versus uh, container and all other stuff, because, yeah, many people come are coming from this classical world where we measure CPU, we measure RAM, disk usage, and if you are looking what we are measuring um, within the Lambda world, it's just errors, retries, uh, all that stuff, uh, just timeouts. It, it, it's, it's totally dif different how you think about your application, what is important, what's, what is taking, uh, what is AWS is taking care for you. So it, 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 it was kind of... Um, difficult but of course we have this misunderstanding so we thought that the lambda is you can scale indefinitely which is not the case you have these limits how uh, account region limits and then these are soft limits but you have harder limits so all, all dealing with limits it's just i think that the the, the Half of our company is spending the time reading all these all these limitation pages for each AWS service currently because it's 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 very important to understand. But generally, of course, it's just this micro world um, has its challenges. Yeah, so you you need to think even more about a good design, probably domain driven design, something how you organize the stuff, what is behind the public API, what is behind the internal API, because normally you will end up having many many functions. Yeah, and th then you need to think how to structure them. You need to think about observability, just how to find out what's what's not going right. Uh, and you have to do it quickly because if you have a lot of chain calls and all that stuff, yeah, and then something's broken, you need to identify this. Observability is kind of, I think it's even challenging stuff, not from the technical perspective, but also from the cost perspective looking in how much all this cloud watch stuff at scale costs or all these third-party providers that are doing a great job, but it just it becomes pricely. Uh, but it's more how just to generate value. I think serverless is just doing things at speed, more just doing more business logic and, and so on. That's kind of value. You will end up probably... In many cases, it will be more expensive with serverless. People think it's differently, but especially observability part. And if you have a lot of API gateway requests, it will become costly at scale. It doesn't even matter if you use HTTP API, it will become costly. So all that stuff, um, X-ray is costly, probably the state changes in the um, step functions and so on. But, but generally, um, you can iterate much quicker. And I think that the speed is kind of the, the, the most factor. And of course, leaving the maintenance out of it uh, is, is a huge stuff. With Java, what we are doing, we're maintaining Tomcat as a web application server. I don't have this if I have FBI Gateway and Lambda. 
and just the people that that maintain or just upgrade the versions or migrate to the newest version, the newer standards, things are not working. And with DynamoDB, mostly things are backwards compatible. You don't need to upgrade the stuff like you are doing for Postgres, MariaDB. And so I think that's that's freeing your time for uh, for something that is more important. But I think that that will not work in the cost center kind of uh, organizations that are more like saving on maintenance, uh, saving on costs. I think that they will struggle adopting the stuff and that will collide probably completely. But the the, the organizations that are looking to to become productive at speed and iterate, throw things out, changing the stuff, cost of change in the applications. If you are designing it right, it will be, I think, much less with serverless. That's that's kind of what, what the expectation is. But you can over-engineer easily. So I see that people have five uh, five people in the team and 500 uh, Lambda functions. It, it can become a bit difficult. So probably not not starting with two small services may even, if it may sound as an anti-pattern, I think that it should work on the smaller scale with smaller functions, then you can can probably decouple more and make it work for much more complex scenarios because I saw a lot of microservices adoption that the people couldn't understand what's going on live. Yeah, and that's also probably not very good stuff. Uh, but you are probably having a lot of experiences okay. doing lots of projects where all this all this stuff is. Um, but a lot of knowledge is required. You just you need to be very yeah. profound in AWS and all that stuff. And it's nothing is for free. Uh, probably I think this knowledge is one of the uh, things that the serverless adoption is kind of not how we, I expected this because the standard stuff, EC2 or even container, is something more natural. Um, at least now for, for the generation of developers there and not every company can, in, can invest in knowledge. Many startups have junior developers yeah, because they cannot afford paying more experienced stuff. Depends on the situation. Uh, but the mindset shift, we are also having teams that are doing this and we're having teams that are say we are more com- confident doing the standard stuff. We are more productive in this and they, they are looking into others and trying to adopt the stuff, but it also takes time depending on, on previous experiences. It's very difficult to erase. <laughs> yeah, 20 years and so yeah. doing the stuff differently. But I think it's the way to, to look how you can do it completely different because somebody will disrupt you probably with other technology and, and so on. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be the, the, the biggest follow-up there is that, you know, there's the, there's the knowledge side uh, of serverless. So there's knowledge required, there's changes in mindset, there's additional setup, likely there's additional cost. Um, so when it comes to why to go serverless, um, how would you describe that sort of value proposition for, you know, they're already doing stuff today. There's this sort of like new emerging way of leveraging fully managed services to kind of take some, some stuff off your plate. Um, how would you kind of describe like why somebody should, should go serverless? So I think, um, you should look into the uh, all, 
so of course being quick and, and, and being able to release and, and have all that stuff that you can de- release smaller parts independently it's a, it's a one uh, thing but what i advise people or the companies yeah to see um, are you doing security are you doing patching are you do, doing this versions that it just to upgrade are you doing security scans and do you react on this or do you tolerate the risk if you tolerate the risk then probably the serverless will not be something fine but if you will really do all that stuff that is required for maintenance the application yeah regularly upgrading all the stuff then track the time track the time which is required yeah and the, the time is huge yeah, a lot of breaking changes, especially in JavaScript world and so on. But then look into the proposition. They have all this managed stuff, managed database, managed API gateway, managed Lambda, managed queue, and so on. So many people tell me, yeah, I have this with Kubernetes and, and Cloud Native Foundation. I can apply a Kubernetes template and I have the queue. Yeah, you can apply it, but you have to run it. Yeah, if it doesn't work, it's your problem. Apply and it just, yeah, it's there, but there is huge operational stuff in this. If everything is working, it's not the problem. But if it's not working, you need people just to repair this and, and restore and all this stuff and this ecosystem in AWS with all these backups enabled and all these services that you can kind of, yeah, glue together. It just gives you a lot of um, uh, possibility. I'm not quite sure that uh, that you can easily change architectures like Lambda to AppRunner to Fargate. It all takes time, I think, to refactor it in that way. But nevertheless, I think that uh, uh, that they free your time, providing you management and, and providing you the scaling. I forgot scaling sometimes. Yeah, sometimes you don't need the higher scale and even the relational database will be enough for you. But sometimes it's just uh, you have to think how I can scale all these read nodes uh, and so on in the database and just you don't have this with DynamoDB. And so on. So think about that stuff. Um, but of course, think what's your pain point. It is maintainability, it's scalability, it's going to market or it just you have COBOL application and you are in a totally different world because nobody understands this and so on. So sometimes it's very difficult to refactor the serverless. Yeah, you, you can start from some point doing this stuff. Uh, that's kind of, so don't try to refactor. Become familiar with all that services. Start small as we started with that internal tool. If it just doesn't work, somebody will come and fix it on the next working day. But with that, we became kind of confident what are the value proposition of the services and so on. And then you can figure it out. And I see that uh, AWS releases more and more. We have a lot of in the step functions world. We have a lot of in the event breach. It's probably one of the most important services or became after three or four years and so on. So AWS also improves the stuff. Yeah, but of course you you have to be aware of lock in and say that's that's fine for me. I don't want I, I want to have this lock in. I just because I don't I want to benefit from that stuff. I uh, sometimes there are lots of discussion about locking which I don't understand because nobody is doing multi cloud, but everybody wants to have the application which is capable of this. I don't understand why you want to pay for this. Just that it's kind of over engineering. But there are companies that that. I don't know, they want to protect themselves or they think they can. Uh, but with all IAM storages, they are locked in anyway uh, in AWS. 
to some extent, at least. But yeah, so think so from the maintenance part, it's 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 very important all this managed stuff, but also from the speed and go go to market perspective. It may be not the challenge for each company, but it may become in the future. So I, I, yeah, I hope this is a great. Yeah, great, great answer. Um, yeah, I, I love it. I think you you really described it well. Um, it frees up your time of a lot of stuff that you know can cause headaches. And I think the K the K eight example of Kubernetes about hey, I can apply this in a minute, you know, a couple minutes, and I've got an a queue running, and then that's a great response there of like yeah, but now you have to maintain it and you have to continue to own it completely, and it's on you and your customer. Pro- you're probably not providing a queue service to your customers, so mm-hmm. they don't care at the end of the day, whether it's you doing it or whether it's somebody else doing it. Um, and uh, I guess in that way, there's sort of that, when we think about costs, a lot of times there's that calculation, which is maybe more the traditional calculation around servers and so on, where you're like, okay, I've got this much for a rack uh, on a, uh, a server on a rack instead of a data center. It costs me this much per month. Um, and you can kind of do that breakdown very easily. But what is maybe less looked at is like you were saying, the time that it takes for you to do maintenance, uh, if there's breaking changes, how you're approaching those, um, how you're handling, if you have your own you know, managed way of doing something similar to API gateway, how you expand that outward, how you make it like backwards compatible, et cetera. And all those things cost a lot of money. And what I've noticed on my end is that uh, engineers are actually probably the biggest cost cost center. Um, engineers, uh, DevOps, um, having people looking at these things. And so if you can spend more time on that end product that you're trying to actually build, less time on other stuff, uh, and you do that full calculation, which is also hard to do, um, then it can work out that, you know, serverless is much more attractive, you know, in, in that way. Yeah, what I, I, many people think that uh, you don't need to to, 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 to think about uh, operability. Yeah, you, you have to be a good software engineer anyway. Yeah, that, that serverless doesn't free you. You have to be even more, but... Uh, I think that the developers become better if they understand more operational stuff. If they look into that metrics and understand and refactor, they even look into the cost and the cost is kind of feature. You can trade performance, can improve performance so the Nasdaq can decrease cost because I can do this naturally. It's just uh, without any risk. It's just improvement in the code. I think, of course, you can overload the teams because now uh, this, this this tendency that developers, they should understand security, they should understand operability, they should understand cost. And of course, it's much more because 10 years ago, developers only wrote the code and threw it through the wall and somebody uh, maintained this. The developers didn't understand hardware and characteristics. And I think with that services that posting their limits, the developers understand what they can achieve and where is the kind of limit of this service and they need to architect. They should understand the difference between SQS, SNS, Kinesis, Event Bridge. You can go so far and what is needed for for your next step, but nobody is designing application forever. But I think it's also the huge possibility for, uh, for developers just to obtain the knowledge, but you probably need to manage this within the team because nobody... Uh, at least I, it's difficult that everybody does everything. 
Yeah, there is, of course, DevOps. Everybody should do infrastructure as a code. Everybody should release in production and so on. Um, but uh, you should manage this this knowledge because no, not everybody can be expert in everything. That should be managed within the team that you have just kind of two or three people understanding many different aspects, but the team as a whole is, is an expert. And of course, we have a lot of challenges around the classical system administrators because many of them don't don't see any challenge with the serverless at all. Yeah, it's not, yeah, where can I install agents? Oh, I don't have any servers. Oh, I, what I'm doing here? Uh, that's that, that's a probably difficult part and probably this is one of, of the parts which prevents organization to moving there because they have a lot of people trained traditionally. It's not their fault. It's how they we worked, everybody. It was valid for 30 years, more or less. And, uh, and now developers can deploy to production and yeah, it's kind of disruption, which happens. I see that AWS disrupts <laughs> the markets, but developers should also do more. And I think that that, that was kind of different and also difficult and also painful at our organization that the system administrators didn't feel comfortable with all the cloud stuff, uh, depending on the stuff. There is still security stuff uh, to do and a lot of educational stuff, but uh, it, it's different. But I think it's it's about the speed, yeah. So if you have the skills in the team that they can, they are capable of releasing everything alone. That's a huge capability. Uh, not coordinating something, not with somebody, and not purchasing some hardware. Okay, we are probably years away from this, but but it just was the time, just eight weeks for this for the rec, and now thirty seconds, and you have the instance. Uh, <laughs> or Lambda scales automatically until some limit. So it's kind of a lot of shifts. So Simon Wardley talked about all that stuff, how just that became generic, everything. And I think it will be will be continuing that all these abstraction levels will be raised and so on. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, you know, uh, very interesting stuff around. Uh, you had two points there. I think the, the first one, I, I have a story myself of going to live, well, being a consultant and preaching serverless and then going into organizations and trying to help them implement serverless. It's uh, it can be jarring. Um, that's definitely true. Um, the, uh, the experience I had and I gave a tech talk in Portland at the new relic office in like 2018 or something. Yeah, around there. And I was introduced at it was a DevOps meetup and I was introduced to like, you know, here's Ryan Jones. He's going to be speaking about serverless and hopefully not how it's going to kill all of our jobs. You know, and I was just like, oh my <laughs> gosh, like I had, you know, my talk was just about like the benefits of serverless and all this stuff that I, I, you know, I didn't, even, I wasn't really fully thinking about how it would be perceived by the people that are there. And I think there's, there's always sort of that friction. Um, I think, you know, the thing that I've learned is that you can never stop learning. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where, I think it's the consequence of the sort of industry that we're in is that if you, if you kind of aren't constantly growing your skill set and knowledge and how the industry is shifting, it's like things just keep moving at rapid speed and people are iterating on frameworks, iterating on CSD, iterating on fully managed services and how all these things connect and trying to make them faster and so on. Um, and uh, it can be tough. And that initial uh, uh, wave of, Hey, what does my job turn into? I think you said it pretty well a second ago, which is, you know, understanding the operations and the under layer of how everything actually operates. Even when you're working in serverless, it's still extremely useful. And 
uh, it's very helpful. So the same way now developers are having to learn a little bit more of the operations, infrastructure, DevOps side, you know, in that same way, there's opportunity for someone that has the operations DevOps side to learn more of the development side and, and, and vice versa there. So I think it's, you know, there's, there's room for everybody in a sort of a serverless world. There just may be different starting points that people are coming at the same problem with. Um, and so that's, that's kind of one point. And then, uh, the last one around organizing teams, uh, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one, which is in the past, things were much more siloed. Um, so, you know, developers just write application code, they throw it over the wall. Some QA person picks it up, tests it, throws it back over the wall, or then passes it to, you know, somebody else to deploy it. And now we have more of, hey, you kind of can do all of it, but maybe you shouldn't. And so that's a complex problem because um, we want that speed, but we also don't want to sacrifice security and proper logging and all this stuff. And so, you know, question to you, how have y'all handled that? Um, and, and empowering developers, but then also not giving them the keys to the, you know, keys to the kingdom. Yeah, so, uh, so uh, of course, also we we are struggling with some points. It's just not uh, not every not, not all all our roses, and of course you have to set standards. Uh, what needs to be released and uh, all this traditional stuff that you are doing this this dependency management, you are screening dependencies with tools, comparing this to vulnerability databases. And of course, you need to do the, the, the security scans. So all that stuff and all these keys needs to be rotated and all that stuff. And you, that's security in the cloud. And it, it's it's a lot to do. And AWS has millions of services there. They, it's easy to pick the wrong one. I think it's a, sometimes it's too much services. Sometimes you need two or three that they are doing, I would say, 95% instead of you're going to the, you don't know where to start. So, of course... Uh, it's, it's everything is prioritization more or less. Yeah, you cannot do everything and just uh, depending on the face of the project, you have kind of uh, different goals. But of course, uh, from my perspective, observability is important. You need to have alarms before and going live. You cannot sacrifice this. It just you cannot fix this afterwards. You, you need to think about that. What what you are monitoring? What 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 are the right metrics and and all this stuff? And I think that. The code quality and security there kind of uh, more or less can be also there. They are the traditional world where kind of also there. And AWS helps you with the security of the underneath. So you don't need to worry how Firecracker works and all the stuff. But the security of the application remains the same responsibility as it has been. Yeah, nothing has changed. Uh, that's why, yeah, that's that, that that's need to be tackled, needs to be prioritized, and that, that that's the old old ways. Uh, just to pay attention to this because it it will kill you uh, all this time. But uh, with serverless, uh, less maintenance, it just frees you time probably for doing more security <laughs> or something like this of the application uh, of your application at least. Yeah, so that that's kind of a good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think it's, you know, it's, we're, we're just crossing the one hour mark. Um, I know we, we've, we've found that, uh, that's sort of a sweet spot to make sure people are still listening before, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> getting distracted with other stuff. Um, you know, so I, I wanted to thank you again, uh, for, for being on the podcast and, you know, final question to you is, uh, do you have any, uh, things coming up that you want to promote any talks, 
any, uh, I mean, yeah, the blog, um, uh, things like that, uh, anything that you want to shout out or promote personally? Thanks for the question. No, I'm, yeah, I have the small blog I started as a community builder. I was more the person who did the, the talks, uh, but now I, I told myself I need to write more because I can explain the things more. That's why I just kind of combine it. No, I will, I will remain active and, and apply for COPs, mainly in the serverless world um, and Java world. Now I'm just exploring services based on AI like Code Whisperer or GitHub Copilot. Now we have ChatGPT, just another stuff. And I tried this for AWS services and I was amazed of the quality of what I was recommended. So that's kind of new passion for me because I currently see the tendencies that, that the people using AI services will be more productive, probably. Uh, you, nothing will um, replace experience. I'm quite sure that's that's difficult. But I think to get the first 80% of, of the stuff, probably we will, uh, we will see more interactions with the AI world. And this is something I'm currently exploring and we'll be talking about Code Whisper. I tried this with Java application, could, could even write the small application with, uh, with the help of Code Whisperer, not without limitation. But, but anyway, this kind of the area that I'm looking for, uh, I talk a lot about DevOps Guru because I also see a lot of value uh, in the microservices world that that you will get all these insights, what's going on automatically without setting alarms, especially for serverless world because AWS has a lot of experience um, operating DynamoDBs, API gateways, lambdas that they can provide the metrics for you. So you don't, they can train what is right, what's not right, and just free you up for writing, uh, yeah, for creating alarms for hundreds of your Lambda functions. So I see a lot of value there and I, I will try to contribute with my talks. Uh, and probably we will see each other in the conferences. We were both on the serverless summit this year with the, I think, lightning talks both. So uh, I think the community is quite, I think, quite small. Uh, or, uh, it's not too small, but the people see each other all all the way. So I hope we will meet each other in person someday. Yeah. And absolutely. Probably do yeah, another absolutely. podcast about some other topics. So there is <laughs> a lot of a lot go a lot lot of things going on. Yeah, I think the the, the big one there is we could probably do a, another hour plus on just the AI stuff happening at the moment. Um yeah. I've uh, I've also been playing with ChatGPT for, you know, because you might think, okay, what is because you know you're talking about code whisper, okay, there's some stuff there on helping generate code. I was using ChatGPT for like, what does this job role mean, and what companies out there are using serverless, and can you give me a list of that, and can you give it in the table, and I, if I was gonna build something where I could send emails from Slack, is there a tool on the market that already does that? Okay, there is. Does it allow for email templates so I don't have to write the email out. Well, yes, there's this. And I'm like, okay. And so I could do like a full brainstorming session by just talking to ChatGPT. It gave me a lot of bad recommendations as well, um, stuff that didn't exist. But for the most part, it was really helpful in sort of uh, giving a better experience than trying to Google search something and then going through different tabs, going through a bunch of fluff inside of something, and then... Uh, finally getting that piece of, you know, good information. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, I'm sure there's a, there's a lot of stuff that as this year progresses, 
all this new sort of development on the AI side is going to just keep going. And um, I'm also in the same agreement that if you're if you're working with uh, tools like ChatGPT and so on, you're going to be more productive. Um, and uh, I, I another example of this is I was I have to write a lot of emails, and there's even ChatGPT. There was an integration someone built on on Twitter. They talked about where it can read the context of the email and then write like an email response without you really having to think about it. You review it. And then, like you said, you take the 20% that probably you need to customize or add something specific, make that work. And bang, you have like a very well-written professional response to maybe a complex situation. And you can spend the majority of your time only on that really specific piece. Um, And that's, sort of flipping that 80 20 thing right um as well yeah so. <laughs> yeah it's very interesting so yeah, yeah. i think people didn't expect uh chat gpt that i know a lot of experts in the eye they say they could not imagine that this happening last year they thought it can take 10 years i don't i don't know what people at google currently think you know even stack overflow and so on so they may be feeling some kind of pressure now to react on this uh, but this is another story and it's not my beer but anyway of course everybody should think how i can be more productive or kind of with newer technologies what i can sacrifice how how i can balance the stuff because the stuff is real and it will impact us yeah, yeah. So that's uh, i was not the ai person and it's probably even currently not, but I see a, I see a lot of coming. And then, then, of course, you should reflect what does it mean, how the job of the developer will look like in 10 years. I have three children. My older son is 16 and learns Python <laughs> currently. And in three years, he will start the job. And I also think, okay, how, how he will develop. Uh, because, okay, he should understand basics of programming languages. Otherwise, it will not work. Yeah, and my youngest son is six, uh, it's, but I think he will see another world of the of what is doing. That will be something completely different, probably. We, we even don't know how, uh, but they don't will not work the same way I, I'm working currently, and that's probably fine. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's definitely very very trippy. So I think I wasn't the biggest AI person either, um, mm-hmm. and even when ChatGPT came out, I really didn't engage with it for a little bit. And I started to hear other people saying, okay, this is kind of cool. Um, and I told other people, I'm like, you should use it, et cetera. And I started hearing feedback from others that I told to use it. And they're like, oh, this is, this is insane. Um, I have a friend that uh, uh, she runs a, a clothing company and she, her entire website, all the descriptions, everything is all written with ChatGPT. It was basically, you, she could ask, say, okay, I've got this item and it's a, you know, let's say a, a, a floral dress. And can you write me a description that's like, uh, makes people want to buy it, et cetera. And then ChatGPT would give something back. And then she'd say, okay, can you make it more fun? And can you make it shorter? And it would rewrite the entire thing to make it more fun and shorter and more capture what she was sort of looking for. And she flushed the entire website out, all the descriptions for tons of items, um, just by asking ChatGPT these questions. And for someone that doesn't have access to all those different fields of knowledge, it's a, it's incredible that, that, that you can just access that and um, how that now develops from here. I mean, it's going to be, I think you're right. It's going to be a whole new world and, you know, a shorter time period than, than we think. And uh, yeah, as a, de- as a developer, 
you know, you can't, you can't, it's like a, it's like a wave. I don't feel that you can fight against it. The only thing that you can do, learn how to use the tools that are out there um, that make you more productive and then focus, you know, again, on the stuff that makes the biggest impact. So, um, you know, what's, what's the part that, 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 that AI doesn't quite get right or that needs that specialized domain knowledge. And that's where you can put your, your, the majority of your focus, but then if it's generating projects or uh, checking for, you know, basic errors and so on. Um, you know, there's certain things like that, 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 you know, I think the AI is going to tackle, uh, you know, tackle first. So, um, yeah, Ooh, yeah. totally agree. <laughs> yeah. It's another topic probably for another two hours. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Well, that's a taste. And then maybe we'll have you back and then we can, we can dive into right. it in a year right. and say, Hey, look, this is how 2023, 2023 turned out. Um, uh, but with that, uh, I want to thank you uh, again, Vadim, for being a guest on the Talking Serverless podcast. Yeah, thanks, Ryan, for inviting me. I hope you could uh, you enjoy it, and I will provide the links to my, to, to the blogs and to the uh, to my GitHub account, so you can check out this uh, AWS Snapstart and playing around with it. Thanks once again. Okay, yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Um, to those listening, this has been the Talking Serverless podcast with Ryan Jones. If you like our show and want to check out more. Please look at Talking Serverless IO or Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. And of course, join us next time as we sit down with another fantastic guest. Yeah.